Well, as you may know, if you have been in the Wesleyan Church for any length of time, the Wilson name, especially as you go out to headquarters, crops up here and there uh, quite frequently. There have been, in Audrey and I have entertained in our home, uh, Ermel Wilson, Earl Wilson, and uh, although we have not yet had the opportunity, we have another Wilson here with us today. We, the missions committee was thrilled because our, our first choice, being who we are at Houghton, in Houghton, we wanted Dr. H.C. Wilson, and we were kind of shying away from Dr. I.W.U. Wilson. And so we are glad to have our first choice, the general director of world missions and uh, the leader of global partners, Dr. Wilson, with us today. And he's going to share uh, his vision and some of the things that are going on in global partners. Welcome, Dr. Wilson. and my wife Lori and I are very happy to be here with you this uh, weekend and have the opportunity to share in a variety of uh, functions of one kind or another. Thank you, Steve, for a very effective presentation. I'd like to go to Honduras with you, actually, but we're going somewhere else the same week. So uh, thank you so much for that. I read some while ago somewhere that Japanese people eat little fat, but they suffer and suffer fewer heart attacks than British or Americans. The French, conversely, eat a lot of fat, but they also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. And the Japanese, the Italians, they drink a lot of red wine, and they also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. So trying to find some conclusion to that, I think, is this. You can eat and drink what you like, and speaking English, it kills you. <laughs> but regrettably, that's all I can offer up this morning, is a little conversation in English. So I'll try to do the best I can uh, in that context. Um, I'm the first person to serve as the head of Global Partners who has not been a career missionary. Um, and so that's kind of, we're kind of breaking some new ground with that, I guess. And uh, so I tried to prove that I had some reasonable cross-cultural experience. So I did a little, little work back through my own background. So consider this. I have served for a season of my life, seven years actually, in a culture different from mine, where I, where I was born and brought up my indigenous culture, a different culture with a different climate in a different country that had a different currency that ate different cuisine, had a different concept of God, and had a different way to communicate. That seemed cross-cultural to me. I moved from Nova Scotia to Alabama. <laughs> that's my cross-cultural cross credentials. Uh, we were district superintendent there, y'all. Seven years, A. And so he kind of had a cultural mix there that somehow, I guess, qualified me for some of this. Just to put a little exclamation point behind all that Steve was saying about the Jesus film, 450,000 people last year saw the Jesus film. Mm -hmm. 450,000. Uh, John Connor, if you've ever heard him speak, is an interesting guy. When he gets up and starts, you wonder, this guy's going to put me to sleep. That's kind of what your first thought might be. But by the time he's done, you're pretty much with him, I'll tell you that. 
and he has a great passion for this thing. He is a Jesus Film Director for Global Partners. As you know, I was in a context where he presented a, his story about the Jesus Film a couple of years ago, and it seemed right to try to do something to help support it, but the offering of that particular meeting had already been taken, and the offering receptacle, the offering place were somewhere else in a way, so the only thing that was available to receive a money in was a couple of guitar cases that the worship team members had, so they were open at the front, said, well, if you'd like to support the Jesus Bill, come throw some money in these offering, in these uh, improvised offering receptacles here, guitar cases. And in that particular setting, $15,000 was raised and supports a team for one year. <laughs> this man will touch your heart. It's as simple as that. Oh, four or five days ago, um, we were able to receive a grant at our office in Indianapolis in the amount of about $81,000 from a donor who had some very specific wishes about how the money would be used. And $54,000, I don't know how they arrived at the breakdown. If someone wants to give you $80,000, I don't argue with their breakdown. Whatever, <laughs> whatever, 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 in terms of particularly rapid growth in Asia, and one single nation would be in Mozambique, the nation that you know is extreme southern eastern Africa. It was a, was a Portuguese colony for many years, and then when the Portuguese moved out in 1963, there was a 30-year civil war basically that went on that decimated the infrastructure and destroyed many, many people in the country until Maputo, that at one time been considered a beautiful city in Africa, became a place that was full of potholes and and all sorts of difficult circumstances. We've had missionaries there, the Lehmans have been connected there. As you, many of you would know who have roots around the Western Church, which is most of you, the work in Mozambique really got started by Mozambican gold miners coming over to the gold on the reef in South Africa and staying for nine or ten months a year. And Ori Lehman and his father before him held services among the miners. They would go back and take that story back with them, and churches were planted. And it was kind of an interesting way that it began in an indigenous manner, but since the Civil War finally got settled and a modicum of peace came to the country, we've had missionary personnel there for about the last 12 or 15 years. But the Jesus film has been incredibly impactful in Mozambique. In the last three years, 109, 109 new Wesleyan churches have been planted in Mozambique as a direct result of the Jesus film. The number of churches in the country has gone from 80 to 189 in three years. The membership from 4,000 to 11,000 and has been right on the back of the Jesus film. It's just an incredible kind of development, which you understand brings with us its challenges, however. Mozambique is a country that's narrow and long. It's 2,500 kilometers from top to bottom. And some places it's as narrow as 20 kilometers. It's hardly wider than 50 anywhere. So you have a long and narrow country, rather like Chile, a little bit. And in that country, it's divided by the Zambezi River, pretty much halfway up. And a lot of these new converts and these new churches are north of the Zambezi River, where we have no present capacity except one missionary there, picket. No capacity to train these new pastors who are trying to pastor these new baby churches. And so it's a wonderful, it, it's a problem if you want to use it. Does that mean anything? Is a tornado coming or something? <laughs> when you live in Alabama, you hear one of those, you go hide somewhere. Right? You're supposed to get the mattress off your bed, drag it on your back into the bathroom, and jump in the bathtub. By the time you do that, your house is destroyed. So it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting way to have to 
have to try to live. And so we had this need to educate ministers north of the Zambezi River, so that's stretching our capacity and our creativity. But I would far sooner wrestle with a problem like that than in a place where no churches are being planted and no people are finding Christ. Right? So it's a nice kind of challenge to have. What I decided I would do in these few moments, did you ever wonder why public speakers, you know, say, this is what I decided to do, will that be all right with you, as if you could change it somehow? <laughs> uh, what I thought I would do is just walk you, since many of you have long association with World Missions and the Wesleyan Church and now Global Partners, as we are called unofficially. Global Partners became the trade name for Western World Missions about five years ago, but we are officially still in the Book of Discipline called the General Department of Western World Missions. So we've climbed up on the real risky uh, razor blade edge of taking a resolution to General Conference in June to officially change our name. So I surely won't cause my dribble, but we're going to try that and see what happens. But I thought you might be interested in some of the things that have happened internationally. For those of you who have history, will remember, of course, 40 years ago this year, the Pilgrim Holiness and the Wesleyan Methodists decided to get married. So we're coming up to the 40th anniversary of the founding of what we now know as the Wesleyan Church. A sidebar, when I came into this job in May, um, I was thinking of this 40th anniversary thing and, and how we might honor people who served in our department over that period of time, and came to discover that Global Partners is the only department of Western World Headquarters where everyone who has served as department head during that 40-year period were the only department where all those people are still alive and still a Wesleyan. No other department has that, the general superintendents or any others. So I decided we need to do something with this, and so we concluded I'm going to have a formal portrait made of all these people together who have been general directors since 1968. So I contacted all of them, or had the gal that works with me do so, and we set up a professional, an appointment with a professional photographer, and they came. We were all dressed up in black suits and white shirts and ties, and we were pretty stunning looking proud of them. I said, so myself. I didn't really deserve to be in the group, right? Truly, I didn't. These other four men had served with great distinction for 39 years. And here I was tagged on the end for just a few months. I didn't really deserve to be there. But I did, the, I did have the right to organize the picture, which I did. And so they came. Irma Wilson, he's 90. His wife's name is Gloria. My wife's name is Gloria. So we've had a lot of fun with that across the years. And so Irma Wilson was there, no relation to me. I wish he were. He's glad he's not. But so he came. <laughs> He's 90. Uh, Robert Lytle, or Normal Wilson, served for four years after merger. Then Robert Lytle served for 12 years from 72 to 84. Robert Lytle came. He's 89. Then Wayne Wright, who served eight years from 84 to 92. He came. He's 80. Then Don Bray, who's given the last 15 years. He's 65. He came. And then me. It's the only group in the world where I'm the junior person. So I enjoyed being there. It just made me feel young. It was kind of a liberating thing. And so we go, and the deal was we're going to have her picture taken, or as they say in Alabama, have her picture made. And then we're going to go over to a nearby restaurant, I'm going to host these gentlemen for lunch. So we go, and we have her picture taken. And actually, going to lunch, I need to tell you, was a wonderful experience. I just sat and listened to their war stories. <laughs> really. Some of that ought to be recorded. Before it's all lost. Some of those early days, they depended on God more than we do. We have a tendency to depend on our money and our technology. They just kind of went up there and trusted God. It's quite exciting, really. So we go to this restaurant. And we walk in there. You got this picture? 90, 80. 
<laughs> They're 90, 89, 80, 65, and I'm 62. So we all walk in. <laughs> and the hostess, who must be accustomed to this life, she said to me, Will you require a children's menu? <laughs> I looked up and said, Ma'am, either you think we're children, or who do you think you might have children? She was all embarrassed. She was too used to asking that question. It just was kind of automatic. <laughs> and so the picture came out really nice. We had a frame, gave them all a copy with a nice note. We were probably, we were probably seated to come to General Congress. But four years after that merger deal, back there in 68, in 1972, a group was formed called the Wesleyan World Fellowship. Some of you would know about that. It was an attempt to bring together for two or three days every time there was a general conference, quadrennially, to bring international leaders together with their mission directors, but particularly indigenous leaders, to bring them together for a two or three day conference preceding general conference. And they had officers that were elected and that served for the four year period of time. The group had no legislative capacity. It was strictly what it said it was, it was Western World Fellowship. Everybody came, told their stories, you prayed for those in need, you celebrated those with victory, and you went home. So it, it was a fellowship that, that sort of bound the thing together in a sense, but it had no it had no teeth in it, had no governing capacity at all. And the Western World Fellowship continued from 1979 till the present time. But the General Conference was held in 2004, wisely, in my opinion, decided that the overseas church had matured to the point that it needed to move to a higher level of self-determination. If every effective missiological plan has an exit as a part of what an exit plan is part of what you're striving to do, to indigenize the work, if that's part of the plan, then somewhere you've got to move this group along to something else. So in 2004, the General Conference decided that the Western World Fellowship would be no more, would be replaced by a group called the International Conference of the Wesleyan Church, the ICWC. And so officers were put in place sort of as a temporary basis. A charter was created that has not yet been ratified. And so this time, immediately preceding General Conference, is going to be the first ever meeting of the International Conference of the Wesleyan Church, which actually has governing capacity. It actually has some legislative clout. It can, it can seek to determine within, under the umbrella of the essentials of the Wesleyan Church, but beyond that it can pretty much chart its own and it's comprised of representatives from the North American General Conference, our two other general conferences, which are the Philippines and the Caribbean, and then every mission unit under Global Partners. And so this group is all going to come together somewhat similar to the, to the old Western World Fellowship, but more people and more capacity to self-govern. I'm looking forward to that very advantage. There's a charter that is to be approved, I hope, in that context. And part of the plan looking forward then, you see, for those of you with history, the Wesleyan World Fellowship always met at the place the North American General Conference was meeting, immediately preceding it, and then the international delegates who came to this were also delegates to the North American General Conference. That was the plan. Well, the new plan is that the International Conference of the Wesleyan Church will never meet in North America again after this year, which I strongly support that. It was going to be an international conference, and you need to get it up from under the wing of the North American General Conference. Let it be its own thing in its own place. And so the concept, subject to available uh, funds, would be four years from now the General Conference meets again here. It would be a North American General Conference, and the International Conference will have met at another place, perhaps at a similar time frame, not the same, but a similar time frame. I don't know for sure. This is not an announcement, what I'm about to say now. 
But the general superintendent of the Caribbean, Carlson Christie, wants us to come to Antigua. Says he has some contacts down there. Well, you could go to a lot less pleasant places. And so we'll see whether that actually happens. Maybe we'll end up in Antarctica. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the plan is to actually let the international church grow and develop and let it have its own conference at which North America will be represented, but would not try to have any sense of colonialism in it where the North Americans are running the show. Kind of. So it'll be a very significant shift. And if that all happens, it would then mean, of course, that the North American General Conference, beginning in 2012, would in fact have little or no international representation. It would be a North American conference, as the Philippine one is Philippine and the Caribbean one is Caribbean. So that's kind of a maturing thing. Some people like it, some people don't. Overall, I think missiologically it's a very valid concept to allow the international church to govern itself within the confines of mutually agreed upon high-level principles. So that's kind of where that comes. Uh, another item, uh, when am I supposed to be done? When you're done, uh, 1115 was nominally the, or 11... Uh, well, I'm 20 minutes over already. 1145, <laughs> okay, that's good. I discovered long ago, if you're going to be invited somewhere to be a public speaker, be done when they want you to be done. Expand to fill the available time if you must and contract to stop if you need to. <laughs> there was a, sorry, there was a story. One of the churches in the Atlantic District, where I had the great honor to serve as their DS for 11 years, a church of about four or five hundred people on Sunday morning, they had a guest speaker there a couple of years ago who quit having anything to say quite a long time before he stopped talking. And as he was, as he was going on, he said, Will you allow me another couple of minutes? One of those rhetorical questions, and one of the ushers in the back shouted out, No! <laughs> but he took the two minutes anyway. <laughs> People do that. Uh, I mentioned Mozambique. One of the great places of growth and development in the Wesleyan Church over the last few years has been in Latin America. Steve referenced Latin America this morning. Um, from about 1945 or so, up until about 1995, we had presence in nine countries in Latin America. We now have presence in 23 countries in Latin America. So there's been very rapid growth there, which reminds me of another story. I'm sorry, I'm kind of in a bad mood this morning, but it reminds me of another story. Rick West, who he mentioned this morning, is the area director there. He contacted me about two weeks ago to remind me that the oldest missionary alumnus in the Wesleyan Church was about to celebrate a birthday. The Reverend Louise Van Meter served in Peru from 1935 to 1947 and then served again short-term in the 70s and the 80s when she lived with her niece in Beaumont, Texas, and her birthday was about 10 days ago. She's 102. So I had Danielle, the gal that works with his headquarters, contact the niece who's the caregiver to say, you know, what is the condition of, of your aunt? If, if she understands her surroundings and know where she is, we'd like to call her and sing happy birthday to her. That's it. Okay. Our whole staff at headquarters. And so the niece came back, and actually I thought she was talking about me. She said, some days my aunt is better than other days, but most days she knows what's going on. Well, that's kind of like me. <laughs> so we decided, she said, it'd be a great idea if you call her. So we get together, 20 of us in the office staff we now have, reduced from 25, I need to say. 20 we now have in the office, and five missionaries who are there for home ministry training. We get this whole group around the telephone, on the speaker phone. We called. And Ms. Van Meter came on the phone, and I explained who I was and thanked her for her service in Peru back many years ago and congratulated her on her birthday. She thanked me for the call, said it was a real blessing. She was with us, right? So we sang happy birthday, and we ended with four-part harmony and a great big gusto thing on the end. And when we were done, she said, where's the cake? 
Uh, two more minutes. I'll tell you a little story here, and I'm going to be done. Um, lots of stories to tell. If you get a guy that, that somehow has the honor There's no way how I could. There's no way that I could communicate to you how humbled and honored I feel to be in this position. I'm not a trained missiologist. I never was a career missionary. I don't bring to the table the things that would normally be expected. But I'm honored to be here. I need to tell you that. So if you get somebody come to speak on missions that can't tell stories, fire them. <laughs> if you don't have any stories to tell, they're, they're no good to you. What do you got them out there for? And so you know, you need to do something else. But this little story, we got the second largest bequest in the history of Western World Missions since the beginning of time, about three or four months ago. A lady whose last name was Passig, P-A-S-S-I-G, in Watertown, South Dakota, left us a half section of land. A half section, 320 acres, I'm sure you know that. And so I went out to have a look at this deal, right? I mean, after all, this value is $732,000. So I went out to have a look at this piece of land, uh, which we're going to sell soon, not right away, because there's a young farmer on it who'd already made a lease arrangement with the previous owner, and even though he had the right to evict him from the land, it was better for all of us if he stayed on it for one more year. So we left him there, went to look at the land, and so I rolled across the land and picked up a rock off of this. Well, I'm going to take that rock home, put it up my office, and remind ourselves that God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills gave us a nice piece of land in South Dakota. I got to the airport and the sorry rascals in the security department wouldn't let me take my rock on the <laughs> They said I might hit something in the head with it. Well, I was tempted to hit him in the head with it. <laughs> but, I didn't, but I didn't do it. So God bless him with the wonderful bequest and <laughs> just this sidebar. It's nothing to do with, it. it's nothing to do with anything really. But you might find this interesting and I'm done in one minute. Uh, the lady who owned the land um, started buying land when she was in her 20s or so. But she didn't know where she wanted to buy land. Land was cheap then. Her daughter had a record of the executrix of the estate. Her mother had bought land for as cheap as $18 an acre, most of it for $40 or $50 an acre in the 50s and 60s. When she died last year, the cheapest land she owned was $1,800 an acre. And the piece she left us was worth $2,400 an acre. So she had gotten her father to help her the lady who died. She'd gotten her father to help her buy land. She said, you know, Dad, I'd like to buy some land. I don't know how to do that. If you find a piece you think is appropriate, if you'll tell me, I'll buy it. So her father said, I'll do that and help her. So that's where she got all this stuff. So her daughter, the executrix of the estate with whom I was speaking, said, when I was in my 20s, I thought I'd like to do what my mother did. So she said, I went to my mother and said, I'd like to buy land like you bought land when you were young and your father helped you, my grandfather, your father helped you buy land. Will you help me buy land just like he did? And her mother said, no, I won't help you. And she said, you won't help me. She said, no, if I find any cheap land, I'll buy it myself. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wilson. I, I've been fortunate to cross paths with all of the gentlemen that he spoke of that were in that photograph, and one of the things that I've noted about our leaders of Global Partners, World Missions, and now I note again in our new leader is the softness of their hearts when they talk about things close to uh, spreading of the gospel and, and the, the growth of the church and the beauty of the way God is working outside of our, outside of our, you know, borders in the United States and across the world and in 
was the power with which he works in people's hearts. And every one of those men, when they spoke of those things, uh, their voices would break and their eyes would well up. I'm just thrilled that we have a, a director who follows in that long line of, of uh, men of God. And we wish the Lord's blessings on you and on Global Partners, and we're so glad to just share a little bit of your vision, what's happening now, and we're looking forward to hearing more from you, Dr. Wilson. Thank you so much. And stories, that's true. We, we love to hear stories. Well, thanks for being here this morning, folks. We're privileged to have heard a couple of great people uh, speak, and we're looking forward to seeing... God's ministry through the, the team here in Honduras, and, and we'll be praying for you and thinking of you as you go two weeks from now. You'll be headed, and, and Lord's blessings as you go. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll close our meeting. Father, it's so good to gather in your name, and it's so good to be a part of a church that is so big, a fellowship, a family that is so tremendous and growing and dynamic and and we're so thankful to be reminded this morning of all of the things that are going on in the church. It's not a static body, it's something that's that's fluid and, and, and growing and moving and we ask Father this morning that you would carry on the blessings that you brought us through these speakers, help us to be reminded Father to pray and to give and to do as you give us, as you see fit. And we want to pray your special touch now on this team that's headed shortly for Honduras. And we ask that you would go with them and that you would bring again blessings on the church and on the people of Honduras through the use of the Jesus film. May your spirit work through each one of these men and women and through the film itself to bring many more into your kingdom. Thank you so much, Father, for all that you do for us, for the many blessings that you bestow on us, and we ask that you would go with us this day as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.